Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The Old Testament divides nicely, might I say, into four major sections. You have, first of all, the law, and then what? History, and then, and lastly? And then the law books are what? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. The history books, what? Oh, pardon me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There you go. And, uh, well, good, that just means you know. Uh, the history books, let me see those. Uh, the history books, read them with me. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. The poetry books are Job, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and the prophetic books are divided actually into two sections. You have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Why don't we read the prophetic books uh, together? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel. Some of y'all not reading. Very good. And again, the prophetic books are divided into two sections. You've got the major prophets and uh, the minor prophets. The book of Nehemiah is in what section? In the history or in the historical section. Uh, were you with me uh, last time, last week? I guess it was last week, yes? Okay. Uh, Nehemiah, as I told you, uh, is a great book uh, and uh, it has a lot of lessons. There's great many lessons in it. Lessons on leadership, lessons on revival, lessons on how to pray about problems, lessons on setting God-given goals, lessons on becoming a person of vision. It's a great book on how to work in the ministry with other people. It's a great book on lessons on how to work in the ministry in the face of the enemy. And many of the things that I just mentioned, we're going to look at tonight, you're going to see right here in the last part of chapter 2. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that Nehemiah... Uh, what is his job? He's a cupbearer. And Nehemiah is a cupbearer in Persia. Uh, the cupbearer sampled the king's food and drink because people might want to kill the king for whatever reason. The cupbearer was the king's right-hand man. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that while walking down the halls, are you listening? While walking down the halls of the citadel, 
Uh, one day, Nehemiah runs into some old friends who had just returned from Jerusalem, and Nehemiah asked how things were going in Jerusalem. And the guys said, the walls are torn down, the gates are burned. And it was at that time that Nehemiah sat down, he began to weep and pray. Keep in mind, at this time, Ezra is already in Jerusalem, and the temple worship is being restored, but the walls are torn down. Also, you want to keep in mind that Nehemiah has never seen the walls. Nehemiah has never been to the homeland. After receiving the news concerning the city, four months later, we talked about it the last time, Nehemiah comes in the presence of the king, sad, he's bummed out. I told you the last time it was a federal crime to uh, come before the king, sad. Uh, the king asked Nehemiah, why was he sad? Why was he bummed out? And Nehemiah, we're talking about chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10-ish. Um, the king, uh, Nehemiah said to the king, you know, forgive me, king, for being sad in your presence, but the place of my fathers and the tombs of my ancestors are vulnerable to the enemy. And the king said, how can I help? And Nehemiah said, would you send me, verses 4 through 6, Write that down. Would you send me and give me? Verses 7 through 9. Nehemiah asked, would you send me and give me? The king gave him passage, provision, and protection. Three Ps. Passion, provision, and protection. I told you last week, when God wants to do a work, and he wants the work to be done. He looks for people who are willing to do it. Can somebody say amen? amen? And he looks for people who are available. He's not looking for complainers. He's not looking for whiners. He's not looking for criticizers. He's looking for people who are available to do the work. And Nehemiah made himself available to the Lord to get the job done. That's where we left off in Nehemiah as he prepares to build the walls. I've titled this sermon... And I'll probably title the next sermon, um, Kingdom Building 101, Part 1. Kingdom Building 101, Part 1. Nehemiah, Chapter 2. Saints, we pick up in verse 11 tonight. If you're looking at verse 11, say amen. amen. So I came to Jerusalem. Oh, some of y'all not looking. Look at verse 11. If you're looking at it, say amen. amen. That's better. Thank you. So I came to Jerusalem and was there, how many days? Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse or the dung gate. And viewed, underline this, viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate, into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley, and I, there it is again, viewed the wall. Then I turned back. And I entered the valley gate, and so I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. 
I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. And then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be in reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And so they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. Let's stop right there, saints. Give me your attention. If you were with me last week, we were talking about waiting patiently on God. I can't stress to you enough, you know, it was very difficult for me not to go back and, and not to go back just up just like here. Not to go back and, 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 and re-sermonize what we talked about last week. Although um, the subject of waiting on the Lord is critical. Um, so it was very difficult for me not to rehearse it and go back over it. At the same time, I, I, I really can't stress to you enough Uh, the importance of patiently waiting on the Lord. Nehemiah received the news. Were you with me? And it was four months before sharing it with the king. These four months were critical to the entire story because it was during those four months that God was preparing Nehemiah's heart. It was during those four months that Nehemiah learned to pray about stuff. It was during those four months that Nehemiah was learning to trust the Lord. It was during those four months that the burden was turning into vision. During those four months, the burden was turning into vision. It was during those four months that God was preparing to use Nehemiah because we know We've talked about God only uses prepared vessels. Think about that. Nehemiah was in the presence of the king every day, several times a day. And the king couldn't tell that there was anything wrong. Why? Because I don't think Nehemiah was dropping hints to the king about the condition of the walls and the gates in Jerusalem. I don't think Nehemiah was walking around the king singing songs of Jerusalem you know, walk in and taste his cup of wine and Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. Make sure the king hears Jerusalem. I don't think he was dropping hints. I don't think he was trying to get the king's attention as to what was going on. Because it's not waiting on God when you're dropping hints. It's not waiting on God when you Facebook post a statement. Hmm, that's contemporary. It's not waiting on God. You know, I've seen it happen. And, and, and you know, I, I think I talk about Facebook pretty much fairly regularly, actually. Because Facebook is the social media now. People don't talk to each other anymore. They text each other or they Facebook each other or they email each other. But people don't even know how to talk to each other anymore. I actually wrote a thank you card a couple of days ago. And it was a struggle to write a thank you card. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was like, wow, I'm handwriting. <laughs> Why? Because now, and Facebook is a social media now, and I see, actually, Facebook for me is a means of cyber pastoring. It really is. I can. I really. I really do. And many of you know. I will send you a bot. Send you a message in your inbox. Hey, what's going on with that picture? Well, I'm not going to ask you to stand right now. <laughs> it's not waiting on God to post things so people can then ask you, Hey, what's going on? I mean, you know, how's things going? And you know, uh, what's you know what's going on? But what, what's that about? Are you okay? Question, question, question mark. Are you okay? That's not waiting on God, saints. If you're going through something or you're fasting and you're praying about something, then do it quietly before the Lord. Nehemiah in the, in the presence of the king for four months before the king could detect that something was wrong. In those four months, God was preparing the king's heart. You got to understand, God is working behind the scenes. In those four months, God was preparing the king's heart. Why? Because remember, I just told you that it was a federal crime to come into the king's presence sad. So instead of the king being angry at Nehemiah, during those four months, God prepared his heart so that he was concerned. In those four months, God gave Nehemiah time to get his plan together. It was a well thought out plan. Remember, I told you last week, if you weren't here, you write this down, waiting isn't wasting time. It's investing time. Waiting isn't wasting time. It's investing time. So last week, God had given Nehemiah the green light. Oftentimes when God gives a green light, Satan tries to give a red light. The red light in our text last week we talked about was Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite. (laughs) Think about that. Things have been going well for Nehemiah up to this point. God's hand was upon him. The king was behind him 100%. He had safe passage for his travels. He had plenty of provision, but now the clouds of warfare are rolling in and the opposition against the work of God begins. Somebody once said, and I think it's true as a Christian, you're either going in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going through a storm. Isn't that true? (laughs) Or you could say it like this. You're either in the middle of warfare, coming out of warfare, or going into warfare. But there are no storm-free or warfare-free zones in the life of the Christian. We learn that right here. Notice in verse 10, I want you to back up a little bit in chapter 2. Look at verse 10. It tells us that Sambalot and Tobiah were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Nehemiah had come to Jerusalem to put up some walls. Now, if you were with us on Sunday, you know we were talking about walls and we were talking about the church is the people, not the building. Were you with me Sunday? The church is the people, not the building and not the walls. And listen, as Christians, I think we must, we should put up some walls around our hearts You know, we need to put up some walls around our worship so it remains strong. We need to put up some walls around our life in regard to prayer. We need to put up some walls in our lives in regard to the Internet. We need to put some walls up in regard to reading and hearing and keeping the word of God. There needs to be walls around your life when it comes to your thought life. 
I think of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It tells us to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We need to erect some walls in regard to the things that produce spiritual health. A wall symbolizes protection and separation. And you build a wall by submitting to God's will. Obedience builds spiritual walls and separates us from Satan and the world. Did you hear me? Obedience builds walls and separates us from Satan and the world. Now listen, when you decide you're going to build some walls of separation in your life, Satan is never happy. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. You know, when you, when you say, you know, Lord, I'm going to pray. Has this ever happened to you? You say, Lord, I'm going I'm to pray. I'm going to take time and I'm going to have a time of prayer. And I'm going to dedicate this time of prayer to you. And everything comes against you to distract you. Doesn't it happen? The phone rings. The kids need attention. Something happens. Who knows? But Satan comes. You got to put some walls up. When you decide you aren't going to party anymore, all your party friends start calling you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. When you decide you're not going to do drugs anymore, all your old drug buddies, all your old drug dealers start calling you. And, and you might be thinking, well, that just completely does not relate to me. I mean, I just don't. That's just not. That doesn't relate to me at all. But I can tell you something. There are some in this room that that relates to. So everything I say ain't for you. Any. <laughs> really? Just when you say, God, I don't want to do drugs anymore. I'm not going to be involved in that kind of lifestyle anymore. All of a sudden, phone calls, old guys start calling you up, all of those kind of things. You've got to decide to build walls in your life and to put some walls up. And, and, and how do you do that? Lose some phone numbers. That's a practical way. And turn off, you're going to go to prayer, turn off your cell phone. You know, don't go to certain places. Put up some walls in your life. When you decide to... Get on target with God. The devil always disturbs you, doesn't he? These guys are disturbed, Sambalat and Tobiah. And they're riled up, feathers ruffled, in a tizzy, because someone has come to serve the Savior. Many believe that Sambalat is related to the Samaritans because the Bible tells us he's a Hornite. And his ancestors are Moabites. And you know Moab and Aaron are illegitimate children of Lot. Interesting. These guys didn't care anything for Jerusalem. They didn't care that they are weak and vulnerable. And even though the temple was there and worship was being conducted, everything was cool. As long as the people of God were not strong and secure. Doesn't that sound like the enemy? The opposition didn't come from, didn't, didn't come at the heart stage. Like Nehemiah's bothered in his heart while still in uh, 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 Persia. The opposition didn't come at the, at the vision stage. Listen to me. The opposition didn't come, 
And the opposition is Sambalot and Tobiah. The opposition didn't come at the prayer stage or even at the planning stage. The opposition came in the doing stage. The enemy is fine as long as you don't act on the spiritual things you want to do. You can pray about going to prayer meeting every month. You can pray about reading your Bible. You can say, God, I'm going to start reading my Bible. You can pray all day long as long as you don't act. If you don't act, Satan won't bother you. Verse 11, Nehemiah, note, did you look at, look at verse 11? Nehemiah is in Jerusalem, 900 miles with soldiers and timber and a caravan. Scholars believe it took two months to get there. It was a two-month trip. Notice he didn't start anything for three days. Why? Because the journey was long and it was harsh terrain. Uh, they didn't travel with a U-Haul truck pulled by SUV. It was rough and tough terrain to travel, so he's probably tired after such a long journey. And he rested. Did you get that? He was there for three days, and he rested. You know, some people don't know how to rest. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking for a participation here. <laughs> And I'm working on it. Honestly, I am. I, 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 I'm trying to, Ted, don't look at me like that. I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm working on it. I, I really am. I'm trying to learn how to, learn how to rest. And, and actually, I've been doing better because like on Mondays now, I, I don't even take my, my phone out of my, I carry like this little satchel pack, backpack thing. And I don't even take my phone out of it now. Don't even, I just leave it in there and it's, I can hear it. And every now and then I gravitate over to it. And then I go, nope, can't do it. It's Monday. You know, I take, I'm trying to learn to rest and try because I am learning that, um, you know, four, four weekends, four, uh, four services on a weekend. That's a lot. And, and I actually do feel it on, on Monday. And so I'm learning that, you know, I think I said it a long time ago that if, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. So you got to come apart and get rested and, and get away or you'll come apart. You'll be worthless. You know, so I'm learning that, you know, you need that. And if for nothing else, you need your mind to rest. You need your mind to have a break. You know, there is a level, you know, I think a lot of times people don't understand this. They look at the pulpit and they think that, oh, that looks pretty easy. Or they, you know, they go, well, you know, oh, I could do that. Pastor, all he does is get up there and talk for a who can't do that? They don't realize that not only is it, you know, the hours of preparation, okay, fine, but when you get here, there is a, a, a insurmountable, undescribable, incomprehensible amount of spiritual warfare that comes at you when you stand behind this pulpit. Every single day. Time you stand up to speak for God, you must understand that Satan is not happy about that. Satan knows that somebody's going to be changed tonight because something's going to be said he, in, in Nehemiah chapter 2. He's going to try to stop you from getting here. And if he can't stop you from getting here, then he wants to distract you while you're here. And if he can't distract you while you're here, then he'll seek to distract me while you're here. So that you miss that word. 
There's an insurmountable amount of spiritual warfare that goes along with the teaching of the word of God that's separate from actually the actual doing of the work. And that's why a lot of times you'll hear me say during my teaching, you'll hear me say something like, uh, uh, are you praying for me? You ever heard me say that? I'm, that's not filler. That's not filler. I mean it. I mean, I mean, I want you to listen. And I want you to, in your heart and in your spirit, I want you to be praying at the same time. You can do both, Christian. Some of y'all didn't raise your hand. I'm going to try that again. That hurt my head. You can do both, Christian. Wait till I tell you. I I need you to be praying for me. I'm saying, are you praying? I want you, I need you to be praying for me because a lot of times I'll say that there's spiritual warfare. I can feel it. I know it. I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years. If you've been walking with God for 30 years and you can't identify spiritual warfare, something's wrong with you. Somebody say amen. And so I'm preaching and I'm like, are you praying for me? I need you to be praying for me because it's in those times right in the middle of teaching that Satan will seek to distract my mind and get me off track. And that's why it's important that we come and I'm always setting up the environment. I need you to have your book out and have your minds ready. And I'm always, listen, you can count on me for this. I am always praying for you. Not individually. I don't know all y'all individually. I'm just keeping it 100. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I want to, but I don't. But I can pray for the sanctuary corporately and say, God, when the people come, Lord, give them a heart to want to come and worship you. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.